Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter nine. Second <coughs> Chronicles chapter nine. It's about the Queen of Sheba and her visit to see King Solomon. The royal visit of the Queen of Sheba is a pretty well-known story in the Old Testament. And it's probably as well-known as any other story in the Old Testament. And when I use the word story, I'm not talking about a myth or some fable or, you know, an account or, uh, you know, uh, the record of her visit to um, see King Solomon. Uh, Plus the value of the gifts that her and King Solomon exchanged. Those gifts would be extraordinary in any age. During her visit, King Solomon told her the secret of his kingdom. He told her that God had given him his wisdom. He told her that the temple was their way to get to God because God had said uh, that it was there in the temple that he'd meet with his people. So we're going to see that here in chapter 9. Let's begin with verses 1 through 12. And it reads, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. There, then she said to the king, It was a true report which I had heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord God, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord, your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. And she gave the king one hundred and twenty talents of gold, spices in great abundance and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon, who brought gold from Ophir, brought algam wood and precious stones. And the king made walkways of the algam wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also, harps and stringed instruments for singers. And there were none such as these seen before in all the land of Judah. Now, King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. As we look through this, if you carefully look at at, at this this chapter, you will see a, a likeness in the king of Solomon and a likeness in Jesus Christ. The reason for the queen of Sheba's journey, it was to check out the fame of Solomon. 
to come and see and to check out all the things that she heard about Solomon and his kingdom. It says in verse one, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. And if you remember when Solomon was anointed and he was beginning to, to, to he took the, the place of his father in the kingdom. God asked him, Solomon, what can I give you? And Solomon said, I need wisdom because I'm young, I'm inexperienced, and I don't know how to lead such a great people as your people. I need wisdom. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for fame. He says, I'm going to give you wisdom. And plus, he gave him all the riches, as you'll see here uh, in this chapter. So she came to see the, uh, the, the wisdom that she had heard about, and she came to test him with hard questions. That is, to test his wisdom. You see, the hard questions were probably related to some profound and important problems in religion and life. And what she said to Solomon in verses seven through eight, she says, you know, your servants are so happy and and, and you know, that, you know, you treat them so well. And and the ministers and all those there, you know, they're just she was amazed by what she saw. And again, based on verses seven through eight, she made this most likely assumption And as great and as rich and cultured and powerful as she was, her heart was clearly troubled about the serious mystery of life, of her existence. And she wanted to have her doubts settled. And she wanted her questions answered and her anxieties put to to rest by somebody who seemed to be specially elevated as a perfect example of teach and teacher of wisdom. And isn't that true how we want to know also the deep questions of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose in this life? You know, and the only one who can let us can can tell us is the Lord God through prayer and through his word. She came, it says, with a huge procession, as she said, it says that she had a very great retinue. That is, she came with a large group of attendants, a huge entourage. She came, it says, with camels loaded down with spices. Huge quantities of gold and precious jewels intended for presents to be given to Solomon. This queen was going out and searching for wisdom and she accomplished her long and strenuous journey. And eventually she got to Jerusalem. Verses two through eight speak of the interview that she had with Solomon. She heard the wisdom of Solomon. And it says that that all that was in her heart, she spoke to Solomon about. She asked him all the questions that that were in her heart. And it says that Solomon answered all her questions in verses one and two. And again, they were probably questions about the mysteries of life, of religion and the worship of God. And from just reading the scriptures here, it seems like the things that she mostly asked about and that Solomon mostly talked about is the wisdom of God. How it was the beginning, the wisdom of God is the beginning of the fear of God and whose wisdom, God's wisdom, is the result of keeping his commandments. Those things that concern the dignity and the glory of human life and helped achieve human happiness, the wisdom of God. But whatever her questions were, they seemed to be all answered by Solomon. And we read that none were too hard or too mysterious for Solomon to explain. And then it says in verse three, she saw the great splendor of Solomon. She saw the wisdom of Solomon. How do you see wisdom through the life people live by the choices they make in life? That was a wise choice. When they did that, that was a wise thing. 
So many times we make decisions without the wisdom of God and we mess up. We make choices that 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 hurt us, that that hurt us long term. But here. Again, she saw the great splendor of Solomon and she saw Solomon's wisdom in actions in his works, the things that he did, as well as from what she heard come out of his lips. She saw in the house that he had built, verse three says, now, not the temple, but the house that he had built, his palace, the palace that he lived in, that took 13 years to build and upon which he had abundantly all that the architectural and decorating arts of that time, assisted by his enormous wealth, could buy. This magnificent royal home was equal to, if not outdoing, the dwelling of Jehovah. And it was looked upon with wonder and amazement by her. She was especially blown away by the splendor of the king's table. That is, the food that was on his table. The variety and the magnificence of the food. This may have also included the costliness and the beauty of the vessels that that food was served in. The platters, you know, the drinking vessels and whatever else was used. She was blown away by the seating of his servants. For example, his high officials sat at the king's table. Or the places that were appointed in the palace for the ministers of the king to sit. Also the servants at the table. Some of those servants were waiting or, you know, maybe to to serve, you know, the, the, the servants at the table or some of them were appointed to places for them in the palace. She was blown away by the clothing that the, the servants wore, the attendance of Solomon, you know, which could no doubt be characterized by its splendor. The cupbearers. Now, the cupbearers job was to taste and to serve the wine uh, that was being served to the king. You see, ancient kings had to be very careful about what they ate and drank. They, they used trusted servants to taste everything before they consumed it. And if the servant lived after tasting or, or they got sick, you know, uh, the king, the king wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't uh, and the king, they wouldn't eat or drink whatever it was that was served. But if they didn't get sick and they survived, they would go ahead and eat it or drink it. And she was also blown away by what they were wearing, which would also be magnificent. All of these things left such a lasting impression on the queen's mind. Not so much of Solomon's wealth and power, but of his superior wisdom. She admired him so much. Her admiration was heartfelt and it was strong. Solomon's wisdom was, first of all, it was everything that she had heard about back home in her country. She said in verse five, everything that I heard about you is true. And she said, you know what? Only half of what I've told I've seen here. She saw twice as much as she'd been told. What she saw and what she heard met all of her expectations. What she heard and what she thought about Solomon hadn't been blown out of proportion and it didn't deceive her. Everything that she heard and saw about Solomon had even far exceeded what she actually heard and saw regarding him. It says in verse six, her sense of wonder was more than satisfied. You know, all of these are basically a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to know him, when you're in his presence. All of these things, they, they, they'll blow you away. The sense of wonder that you'll have, the satisfaction that you'll experience. 
Fourthly, it was so overpowering that verse 4 says, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, she saw what she saw and what she heard left her breathless. Her hope, her hope of matching Solomon's wealth and wisdom was gone. There was no way that she could match it. The queen of Sheba expressed what she thought and what she felt. She said to Solomon, how happy your officials are. How happy your attendants are, Solomon. Because you see, they were close to his throne. They were close to him which made it possible for them to hear his wisdom. That's the same with you and I, with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're close to Jesus Christ, you're happy. You're blessed. You enjoy that relationship. You know, even in the presence of the king, and it, because they were in the presence of the king, it made it possible for them to hear his wisdom. And that's how you and I will hear and know the wisdom of Jesus Christ through prayer and through reading his word. And because Solomon's attendants and officials heard his wisdom, she took it for granted that Solomon would never talk other than wisely. They were always in his presence. So Solomon would do nothing but talk wisely. He would not do nothing but talk with wisdom. And that Solomon's servants and ministers, they would always feel willing to listen to and benefit from what their master had to say. I mean, again, we should learn these lessons here with a, a, for our own Lord. That, so, that, that Christ only speaks wisdom. Whatever he says in the scriptures is always wisdom. It's for our good. It's for our benefit. It's for warning and, and for blessings. And that we should be willing to listen and to benefit what, from what our master has to say. She also praised Jehovah God for his goodness to Solomon. She said, God has, has blessed you, Solomon, and given you the throne in making you king and in giving you the kingdom. Because making uh, Solomon uh, the king, he was the second in command of Israel, only under God. And she, and she, she commented on, on God's favor as well toward Israel in giving them such a wonderful king. Has God not given us such a wonderful king? Man, we... You, you can't get a better king than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, in her eyes, it was proof that God loved them. And you see, when people see the love, when people see the wisdom of God in your life, they see the evidence of the wisdom of God in your life, again, by the way you live, the way you speak, the choices that you make. It's proof of the love of God in their life. And also that God intended to bless Solomon forever. And when we come to know Jesus Christ in a loving relationship with him, hey, he intends to establish us forever, all in all eternity. There was no mistakes in anything that she said. And stable thrones and good kings are God's doing. She instructed Solomon. Also, as to the kingly work that, that, that such as he was raised up to do. And she said, specifically, you are to rule with justice and righteousness. So from the things that she said, you know, some suggest that, that maybe she, you know, was assisted by inspiration or converted to, to, to God's religion. But uh, it, it, it's, it's open to suppose that she was 
A deeply reflecting and visionary woman, second only to Solomon in wisdom and reasonableness. But her words in verse 8, when she said, Blessed be the Lord your God, that was the language of politeness in the world at that time, in the ancient world at that time, and it doesn't mean that she was converted. Visiting dignitaries, as was their custom, would praise the God of the host nation. And even so, the things that the queen said about God's love for Israel and his election of Solomon, they were true. She brought Solomon presents. We see that she brought Solomon 120 talents of gold, which is equivalent to 9,000 pounds of gold or four metric tons. She brought him a ton of spices. And when I say a ton, I mean figuratively speaking. She brought him a bunch of spices. The quality of the spices that she, that she gave them, they couldn't be matched. She gave him precious stones. The names of those stones were unknown. When I see this queen giving the king all of these precious, priceless gifts, it reminds me of us, God's people. We should be giving God our best. We should be giving our king all that we can. Abundantly. Then Solomon gave the queen of Sheba gifts. Besides getting all of her questions answered, she received beautiful and valuable presents from Solomon. Partly because Solomon agreed to give her the things that she asked for, according to verse 12. It says that she asked for certain things. Solomon gave her those things. Partly because in return for the expensive gifts as well that she brought him, and partly because over and above out of his own royal kindness. And you see, when we give to God, what he's due, God gives back twofold, a hundredfold. Now, that shouldn't be our motivation for giving to God. But you know what? God will bless us because we have given to him our all, our best. And when she was finished with her visit, verse 12 says that she went back to her home. She went back to her home when her visit was over. Now, we don't know how long she stayed, but what she had, but what she had seen and heard. Everything she had come to see in the end when she went home. Along with her servants and accompanied, she was accompanied by her caravan and camels. When she had seen and heard everything that she went there to see, she went home. Now, what were the rewards of her and benefit of her visit? Well, Besides her taking home all of the presents, presents that Solomon gave her, she took home with her what was the greatest part of the trip for herself and her subjects, and that was the impressions that she had received from her visit and the lessons of earthly and heavenly wisdom that she had received from her meeting with the king. There are rewards and benefits in having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The impressions that we receive, uh, the lessons that we learn from him, earthly and heavenly wisdom, we will receive from, from, again, our King Jesus Christ. Her visit was factual. It wasn't a myth. Her visit wasn't just a myth. It was supported by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12, 42. Jesus said, the queen of the south, speaking of the queen of Sheba, will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. And also by recent archaeological research, 
they know that the queen of Sheba's visit to King Solomon was true. Here's the lessons from verses 1 and 12. From verses 1 and 12, we, le- we learn the privilege of Christians in having a king greater than Solomon. Solomon was probably the greatest king that ever lived in his wealth and in, 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 in his you know, prominence. But yet, it, it says Jesus, one greater than Solomon, he's here speaking of himself. And Paul said in Colossians 2, 3, in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul said Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. We read in John 7, 45 through 46, it says when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and the Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? They said, we've never heard anybody speak like this before. Speaking of uh, speaking of Christ. In Matthew 13, 54, it says, when he had come to his own country, that is Jesus, when Jesus came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, where did this man, speaking of Jesus, get this wisdom and these mighty works? The obligation of the world is to hear the wisdom of Jesus Christ, who besides uh, being greater than Solomon, is also nearer to them than he was to the Queen of Sheba. She traveled from across the world to see the fame and the wisdom of what she had heard about, about Solomon. And yet Jesus Christ is so near. And we won't even take the time or, or go whatever distance it might be to find out the truth of Jesus Christ. We'll listen to the lies and the deceit of what the world tells us and will neglect him and ignore him. Also, the blessedness, we have the, oblig- the blessedness of those who hear Jesus' wisdom, waiting at his throne and standing in his presence. We learn lessons that, that there's a blessedness in the wisdom of God. At waiting at his throne, being at his throne, and being in his presence, first on earth and afterwards in heaven. Be- blessing in blows both places. Proverbs 8, 34 says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Also, the certainty that Jesus will give to them who seek his wisdom all that they ask and more if they need it and more of all that he has. James tells us in chapter one, if you need wisdom, ask. And James says he'll give you all that you need. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, Paul said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Notice may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which which passes knowledge. Notice that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The responsibility of those who come to know the wisdom of Jesus Christ, they need to take the good news of it back to their own land like the Queen of Sheba did. She took it back home and she told everybody about the wisdom of Solomon. And one greater than Solomon is here, our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take it home. We need to take it to those around us and tell them about the glory and the splendor of Christ. Let's look at verses 13 through 31 now. <coughs> 13 through 31. 
The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold, besides what the traveling merchants and traders brought. And all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the force of Lebanon were pure gold. Notice, not one was silver. Here's why. For this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Can you imagine? He had so much gold that silver was looked at as nothing in that day. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, as does our Lord Jesus Christ. He even surpasses Solomon. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses and mules at a set rate year by year. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the, uh, the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamore, sycamores which are in the lowland. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all the lands. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Edo uh, the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. Then Solomon rested, or he died, with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place." Verses 13 through 31 speak of the glory of Solomon. Solomon's annual income in gold through taxes alone amounted to 25 tons, according to verse 1. This figure reflects income of the whole nation brought him through taxes. We see the enormity of his wealth in verses 13 and 14, 21 and 24. The sources of this wealth, well, there were the contributions of merchants and traders towards the king's income, according to verse 14. The gold and the silver that the kings and the governors brought to Solomon was tribute. It was a kind of taxation on subservient states. It wasn't a voluntary gift. They had to do it. Secondly, the presence of kings and governors in Arabia and other places were brought to him. Third, and the shipments of goods brought by his fleets from Ophir every year, according to verse 10 and 24. And from Tarshish in Spain every three years, according to verse 21. Its amount, 666 talents of gold, again, 25 tons a year. Not counting the silver that was said here to be as common as rocks. What was the gold used for? Well, it says it was, making, it was to make state shields. 
Uh, and it says 200 larger shields were made, each of which were made with 600 shekels of gold, which is 15 pounds, uh, and 300 smaller shields, uh, to which 300 shekels, or 7.5 pounds of gold, were used for those. The shields of hammered gold were for decorative or ceremonial purposes, not for the armory. Because, you see, gold was too expensive, and it was too heavy, and it was too soft to be used in battle. The shields were probably made out of wood and covered with gold instead of leather. And they were hung, it says here, in Solomon's palace, the house of the forest of Lebanon, where they kept, uh, where they were kept until, again, plundered by Shishak. Also, in making a state throne, it says it was made out of ivory, covered with pure gold, according to verse 17. For example, the woodwork, not the ivory, was covered with the metal. The throne had six steps and a golden footstool, according to verse 18. Each step had a lion on both sides, both probably covered with gold. And on each side of the armrest, okay, uh, had, uh, had lions on both sides. So there were in all 14 covered lions. It's no wonder that the historian said there was nothing like it in any kingdom. And again, it's a picture of the kingdom of God. There is nothing like it. Ever. The kingdom of God is going to be so amazing. We just, you know, studied uh, finished revelation not that long ago. And if you remember the new heaven and the earth, it was amazing. It's going to be an amazing place. Also, uh, gold was used in making the state cups or the drinking vessels for the palace. All of them were made out of pure gold from Ophir, Tarshish or Parvam. Not one was made out of silver because, as it says in verse 20, silver was nothing in the days of Solomon. Also, in verse 22 through 23, we see the excellence of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon's wisdom was excellent in reference to the origin of his wisdom. It was God-inspired. All wisdom proceeds from the same source. Job 32.8 says, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty Gives him understanding. John 3, 27. And a man can receive nothing. Notice a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. But in Solomon's case, wisdom was a special gift from God. We saw that back in chapter 112. The amount of wisdom that Solomon has, it surpassed all the kings of the earth in the quantity as well as the quality of his wisdom. The manifestation or the sign or the show of his wisdom. Solomon's wisdom showed itself in a lot of different ways. It showed in his building the temple. It showed in building other architectural projects. In pronouncing judgments. You know, when he, when he, when he made judgments to, uh, with, with people that brought cases to him. Uh, we saw his wisdom in the, in the judgments that he, that he made. We saw it in the wise things that he said. We saw it in gaining knowledge and more especially of natural history, and in writing books, both ordinary and poetical. His fame, it spread all across the countries, and it attracted kings and queens to his palace to hear his eloquent speech and to test his insight, as well as to see the splendor of his court and the magnificence of his person. You know, and if we're living the life of Christ, and we're, we're being, uh, you know, uh, we're walking in the grace of Christ. Uh, uh, you know, and again, he, he's being our model. You know, it, it, it should draw people to us. Because 
People are hurting today. They're looking for peace. They're looking for victory over sin. They're looking for for, you know, victory over bondage to certain things in life. And when people see us living a victorious life and we're not bound by the things of this world and we're, we're not hooked by the things that this world gives us and offers us. You know, I, I've seen it many times that people want a life like that, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to do it. But like King Solomon, the people were so blown away by his wisdom and his splendor and his eloquent speech that, that they came. They were drawn to him because of the magnificence of his person. And you know what? Again, one greater and more magnificent is here, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're living for Christ, I think we should be, you know, it, it should cause people to want to know, you know, how do you, you know, what do you do? What is it that, that, has, that gives you a, a victorious life over sin? First Kings 434 says, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom, they came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Verse 26 speaks of the size of his empire. Its eastern boundary is the Syrian desert where Tadmor was located. Its western boundary was the Mediterranean, or more correctly, Phoenicia and the country of the Philistines, with a strip of the Mediterranean coast between them. Its northern boundary, the river Euphrates, in its upper reaches from Tipshaw, a large and heavily populated town on the west bank. It was a place where armies crossed over the stream and where there was a harbor for landing and shipping products coming from or going to Babylon. And then its southern border was the border of Egypt. Within these limits, he either exercised sovereign power directly, like he did over his own subjects in in Palestine, or indirectly through receiving taxes from the reigning kings who showed their loyalty to him by every man bringing a present every three years. Verse 24 says, Vessels of silver and vessels of gold, clothing, equipment, spices, horses, and mules. How long did he reign? Verse 30 says, 40 years he was the king of Israel. What a great privilege for King Solomon. Long life. In this time, in Solomon's time, long life was a sign of special favor by God. Under the new and valuable blessing for those who enjoy it. Under the new blessing, that is Jesus Christ. It's a valuable blessing for those who enjoy it. It was a huge opportunity for King Solomon. You see, we're not just here for personal enjoyment. God has created us for a purpose, and we need to find out what that purpose is. But again, life isn't just for personal enjoyment, but for religious and charitable work, to do godly things, to do charitable things. A long, a long life means a long time that we're given to do good. Think of the benefits that Solomon might have given to his people during that 40-year period that he was king. It's a great responsibility. For Solomon to do less than he could have with all of his wisdom, with his vast riches and his immense power, his great fame and long life, hey, he would be guilty you know, and, 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 uh, of you know, not using the great talents and the gifts and the wisdom that God gave him. And it will be required of us. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to whom is given much, notice from him, much will be required. Also, it was an obvious mercy to Solomon. Considering the bad use that Solomon made of his long life, 
because in the end he declined spiritually in his old age. And it was because of his love for many women. And, and he fell into degrading idolatries. Even though he was on the throne for 40 years, it was proof of God's loving patience and long-suffering that God didn't wipe him out sooner. And then it speaks of the end of his reign in verse 29 and 31. His life history was written, it says, by the hand of other prophets, verse 29. And because they were prophets of the Lord, these writers, they wouldn't talk bad about him. They wouldn't lie or exaggerate about the wisdom of Solomon. They would speak truthfully. 2 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul said, God knows that he was caught up in paradise and heard expressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. If God were to meet us today, in closing, if God were to meet us today, his glory would overwhelm us like the glory overwhelmed the Queen of Sheba. We can't begin to imagine all that God has in store for us. Paul said, you know, I, I was caught up in, in, in the paradise and I heard things that I can't even speak of. He saw things that he couldn't even speak of. So again, if we were to meet God today in his, in, in glory, in, in his glory, he'd overwhelm us. We couldn't begin to imagine all that God has in store for us, both in this life and for eternity. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to live with him forever. But until then, his Holy Spirit comforts us and he guides us. And knowing the wonderful and eternal future that's waiting for us in Jesus Christ, that gives us hope. And it gives us courage to press on in this life and not give up and to endure the difficult times and to avoid the temptations that face us. This world isn't all there is. This life here on earth isn't all there is. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. But you know what? You can only get there through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for, again, this chapter, Lord, as Father, it is so much a picture of the wonderful King, Jesus, the King of kings and the King of, uh, and the Lord of lords, God. Father, we pray that, God, we would understand that one greater than Solomon is here. And with greater splendor and with greater wisdom and greater power, greater in every way, and we don't have to travel around the world to, to see him or to speak to him. To be in his presence. <coughs> He's just a prayer away. Just a prayer away. And he wants to be a part of your life. More than just a part. He wants to be your life. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart. He's not going to share the throne of your heart with you. There can't be two kings. There can only be one. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, you recognize I need Christ. I need him in my life. 
I need him intimately and personally. I need to be forgiven of all of my sins. I need to be saved. As we worship, you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You get up out of your seat. You make your way toward the steps in front. I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.